0: Hello, humans.
1: Welcome to another show.
0: Look, it's raining. It's raining like mad. I don't think it has stopped raining all day. My house is not flooding, which makes me happy, but it makes me also concerned that the water is going somewhere else. I do not own this house. It is not mine. Someone else owns it. Technically, it's someone else's problem, but the problem I face... Said I might have to move if this shit doesn't get sorted. And I hate moving. It's the workload. It's the packing. It's the going through the shit. It's the full in depth cleaning. Man, if there was only a better way to live a life. Look, just did another interview. I'm doing this one in real time uh, to release tomorrow. I just interviewed a, a friend of mine, someone I've known for a while now, Tim Kitching. Uh, he is a sort of a, a corporate coach. He's a guy that uh, takes it to the next level uh, and teaches you how to be a better you. Uh, something that I'm interested in. I found it. Uh, found it. Uh, I wouldn't, I'm not going to go fascinating because I kind of already knew about it, but I do find it interesting that there is a lack thereof leadership in the workplace that requires someone to come in and consult and assist in transformative change around. Uh, fixing these sorts of things, uh, and I guess, leveling people up. Um, you know, we touched on a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, you know, I think really the the bigger one that we kind de- de- of dove into was, you know, the mental health side of, you know, kind of all of this. I think that's what the summary in the end kind of got to, and and I th- I really started to see a pattern around. I guess you know, reflecting now on that conversation, uh, around how we all are wired. Uh, you know, I mean, a little bit of contention around whether or not external factors such as the Internet and social drives this. I, you know, I'm more of a firm believer that, you know, the distraction that is that, uh, that machine, the, the information, whether it be true or false, and the guidance it gives us is correct is, you know, allowing us to be our true selves or a version of something we aspire to be. Um, but nonetheless, you know, the impact of all these things, whether you're unhealthy at work, unhealthy at home, unhealthy because of the internet, unhealthy because you don't eat well or don't do the fitness, um, all these things add up and the, you know, this is a, it was a, was a pretty valuable nugget dropped in the conversation around, uh, you know, little things create big things. Uh, I like that. I thought it was neat, you know, uh, when you let things fester, when they, you know, only feel small, but there's alarm bells ringing, but you just don't do anything about it. Those things tend to bite back later and blow up in your face or become bigger problems later is something to uh, something to think about, you know, something for all of us to think about. Um, So, yeah, before we get into it, I guess a little bit of recap, a little bit of a surge on the old uh, podcast uh, listens. I uh, I'm surprised that there's a big jump. It it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was incredibly consistent, um, but it is more than the norm. So what I will say is, welcome to all my new listeners, or perhaps what has happened is you guys are now listening to these in five-minute increments and just hitting play a lot. would make sense that you did that because the numbers are insanely more by, uh, by a magnitude, so you guys would be listening to this very, very small amounts. Or we've got a whole bunch of people that got uh, tricked by my uh, title around corporate, uh, corporate anarchy or whatever I put in the last title of the episode. And perhaps people want to hear more about how um, these things play out uh, in sort of your day-to-day work life. Um, so I am interested in tailoring content. It's made me start to think a little bit more around that type of stuff and and providing perspectives that maybe resonate more for my listeners. Um, so again, uh, yeah, thank you to those who are listening. Thanks to those that have reached out and told me that I'm they're interested and enjoying the episodes. Um, I'm still having fun doing it, so I will keep doing it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I guess when you're reaching out and you're letting me know what you think, uh, if there's stuff you want to hear about or there's uh, perspectives or angles that might be of interest to hear more about, do do say so. Um, You know, I'm always looking for, you know, just trying to, you know, solicit a different type of a conversation. Um, It's still fairly organic, the interview. I tend to let it go where it goes, which is part of the fun of it. Um, I like talking to people. I like learning things from people. You know, and I think that's one of the things that uh, I'll continue to do. But I am willing to focus on uh, driving for, you know, I guess a specific sort of line of conversation, if you will, to center the conversation around a thing, something that we can all sort of uh, rally around. Um, So I've got a, you know, a few interviews uh, that I have scheduled to come up later. And uh, yeah, nevertheless, this is Tim Kitchen, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, also somebody that I've uh, worked with in the hockey community, and us talking about leadership and uh, mental health and a whole bunch of different things that happen in the work space as well as in the life space and uh yeah we kind of dig into it interesting backstory interesting character uh, i hope you guys enjoy this one uh, nevertheless this is tk tim kitchen on unplug yourself and i just got a little bit markety
2: Let's just start. All right. Well, you can do the edit thing later. I, I do do the other thing, although
0: generally I don't do a lot of editing with these. I just let them ride. But we'll um, we'll 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 do this. You ready?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Let's do it.
0: TK Tim Kitching.
2: That's correct.
0: Tim Kitching. I, I I want to call you Tim Kitchen though, but there's a G in there.
2: There uh, is King. a G in there, but you know if you go back far enough, yeah, we were we worked in the kitchens of the great houses of Northern England. Oh no shit. That's where kitchen comes from. And Damn. Kitching is just a the classier way of saying. Wow, well, you know, you know what people are like. If people if people can drink a cup of tea with a little finger sticking out, they do. That's, that's, the, G. that's, the, kitch, G that's the G. The G is the little finger sticking that's, out.
0: That's Ting. I'm teeing. I'm not just T. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I was trying to throw you a curveball, but there's Legits in this. That was great. Well, apparently my family came from, uh, I don't, really don't know how much I trust it, but my, I have an uncle who went down the genealogy line. Yeah. And apparently it used to be Mick Robins. And I never remember, by the way, if that's from Scotland or Ireland.
2: Mick. Mick, MC. MC, Scotland. Yeah, Scotland, right? Yeah. So,
0: uh, and so so so, and But apparently because they immigrated to England, they dropped it and just made it Robins. Of course. Oh, see, now my dog's interested. Yeah. Zeus, we can't be doing this the whole time, mate. You're going to have to lay down. Lay down or you're going to get out. One of the two.
2: It's amusing. Oh, man. You called Dogs. your dog Zeus. Yes, Zeus. Zeus wasn't scared.
0: No, but Zeus is frightened of humans in the house. And then this is going to get to the point where I lose my temper a little bit with him and tell him to lay down because I don't like it when he doesn't listen to me. <laughs> Hold on one second. Oi! Lay down. That's enough. You lay down. You stay there. He's just nuts. Just on the borderline of being too insecure for my comfort level of insecure people. He's an insecure dog. Maybe it's a test.
2: We should name a McDonald's burger after you. Me? The McRobins. The
0: McRobins. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Anyway, so like that's that thing. So apparently they dropped it, went with Robins, and then we're like, the House of Lords? Apparently there's some shit with the House of Lords. There's a Robins in there. But then when I do my research, I found out that... Uh, It was a massive, like, camping company called Robins in Europe. And so really we're just tent makers, maybe. Gypsies. Gypsies. That would
2: go with the tats and the beard.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that fits, that fits. I'd rather be a gypsy. So, uh, TK... Uh, thanks for coming on the show. I you're appreciate welcome. you being here. I uh, am definitely, no, we, we know each other outside of, you know, sort of generally human contact. We've got the hockey community. We do. Which really is where we met each other. Yeah, guess, it is. Fundamentally. It is. Um, and you're steeped with a child who plays, a wife used to manage, you, you were a coach and uh, now part of the committee. Yeah. Part of the committee. Yeah. You are, you know, well up to your neck in hockey. Yeah. But then I found out that you have another life. I do,
2: I do, so I have to earn a living. Yeah, we we all do, yeah,
0: because hockey doesn't do it.
2: Well, I feel like sometimes I I, I earn a living to pay for my hockey. Oh, right, okay. And the rest of the family, sometimes it feels like that. (laughs) But I do, I have a whole life. I run my own company. Mm. Um, uh, I'm an executive and personal coach, Um, and that really presses all my buttons. It's such a cool thing to have Mm. to do. And to, to work and to, to earn a living doing your stuff. It's just yeah. amazing.
0: But you didn't start there. You started with other things, yeah. right? To get to this, I did. So let's go back. Right. So where are you originally from? What is this? Where are you are you Australian, born and bred?
2: No, no, born in the UK. Right. Um, born born in Oxford uh, to my parents. So both of my parents are from England. They're both academics. Right. Um, my father has a PhD from Oxford. Mm. Um, And that's where I was born. Right. I was nearly born in Canada. And then due to family pressure, Mm. my mother, believe it or not, because she was too far gone pregnancy-wise back in the day to catch a plane, Uh she caught a boat from Vancouver back to the UK so I could be born in England. A boat? A
0: boat. Shit, how long does that take? From Vancouver too. That's the other side.
2: Yeah. So – What, down through the Panama Canal and then up – I have no idea. Oh I've gosh. never bothered to find <laughs> right. out that much. Right. All okay. I know is that apparently I had to be born in the UK, so I was. And then six weeks later they left. Right,
1: okay.
2: Um, and came to Australia. And I've, I've lived in Australia since I was about six weeks old. Right. At different times we've gone, we, we've lived in different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my, my father was a very successful academic, so he literally took roles and the family... Up and moved to wherever mm. his next academic appointment was. Yeah. So I've lived in uh, Canberra. I spent time in Vancouver. I spent time in the U- back in the UK, back in Oxford, in fact. Uh, Brisbane, uh, Armidale. Mm. So it's been a um, certainly growing up. We moved quite regularly.
0: Yeah, and your dad was—I mean, I'm going to butcher this, but a bug guy, basically, right?
2: Yeah, he was an entomologist. entomologist. So he was an insect guy. But
0: insect guy. Oh, yeah, my
2: bad. He then moved into – essentially he was a climate change guy, still is. Oh, right. I mean, he's okay. retired now, but he's he's still very active around climate change. Oh, wow. Has okay. been, has been for, for as long as I can remember. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and he specialised in using – Uh, for example, rainforest canopies Mm -hmm. and the food webs, so the interaction of all of the different insects in the canopy of Mm. of the rainforest as a proxy for measuring changes in climate and changes in the environment. Really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, that is pretty legit though. I mean, like when you can find a marker like that that you can measure to to make a, you know, not just go from assumptions to go to, you know, real conclusive information.
2: And... One of the frustrating things i found in the last 15 years is it's probably been 15 years since I had any doubt Mm. that climate change was real and backed by evidence. Oh, right, yeah. And here we are in 2019, 2020 we still have arguments over whether it's real yeah it just blows me away that we can even still be having this conversation
0: yeah well it's interesting i mean i you, you try to wrap your head around what are the what are the strings being pulled on this whole machine right so then like you know, when i think about climate change now you know the baseline argument for me is is you know the human impact on planet right and so therefore if you look at you know, the way at which things have moved, it's not just the way that which the weather's all happened. You look at the volumes of garbage. Like When was the last time you went to a tip? You know, when was the last time you saw massive waste in streets yep. or went to a third world country and, you know, saw the volumes of shit we're leaving behind? hundred percent. We, we leave a footprint, you know, we have a trace. I grew up in the mountains. Right. And so for me, you know, one of the big things for me is, is like, I, I, I just still can't, my, my my roots tell me I should be able to walk out the backyard into the wild and be free of anything. I should be able to literally stand on a spot and then think quite possibly I could have been the first person to ever have stood there or at least in the last hundred years been there, right? Um, whereas now I live in a city and I have done for quite some time and I look around and all I see is the, rem- the, the remains of our, you know, exploits of you know kind of conquering right yeah of growth and all the things so the cause and effect of it is is undeniable volumes of shit left behind that we don't need consumerism you know the way that we like just look at a curbside pickup look how much shit gets put on the side of the road
2: it's waste ultimately it's waste yeah i I try and take a really pragmatic view of it Mm. and that is that that as long as we just let capitalism and consumerism run rampant mm. this mm-hmm. will happen yeah oh, a- and exactly. I'm and I'm not I mean I'm generally a free market guy so yeah. generally my view is let the market work its way through mm. and it will drive a range of efficiencies and the right thing sure. into to our behavior but there are some things and and this, this this issue of waste is one of them yeah where I think government intervention is critical yeah. I mean, the mere fact that we can um, that we can sell clothes that we know in advance are made so poorly, yeah, that actually you're going to get twelve months and then have to throw them out, yeah, oh yeah, or turn them into car polishing rags, yeah. It, it I look at that and it just makes no sense, yeah. It, uh, a, a, and left unchecked, mm. without any sort of regulation at all, you can end up what we got right now. Mm. It's, it's that level of waste and that human impact on the world we live in mm. I think is frightening and rapidly approaching the point where if we're not careful we'll have tipped over yeah. the point of no return.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. I and, tend to agree with that.
2: And know? I'm not an alarmist. Like I don't look at it and say, right, that's it, you know, human beings, we know it is over. Mm. What I do look at though is maybe we need to be a little more proactive. Mm. No, I tend to agree with that. Because there are children coming after us. Mm. And I worry that the world we're going to leave behind for them mm. is going to be a pretty shitty place. <laughs> so interesting, because when
0: you when you said there are children coming after us, I legit thought children coming after us, not generational, but like protesters. Because I actually caught someone building an, an interactive map of last year's climate strike um, protests around the globe, yep. and then you can just cycle the year and just see all of the volumes of millions of people stepping up and kind of saying. You know, fundamentally, just saying, "Hey, look, something's got to give." You know what I mean? Something's got to give here. We can't. You can't leave this for us.
2: I, I don't think when you say children coming after us, I mean, I didn't intentionally go down that this path. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, I mean, no, Greta, no, I, Greta Thorberg is a good example, sure. right? Here is a young lady, and, and stage managed or not, yeah, I think it's irrelevant. I think the fact of yeah. the matter is, um, her and a whole range of people just like her mm. are looking at us collectively as you know anyone over 40 mm. and pointing the finger quite legitimately mm. and saying why are you doing this to the world we're going to inherit no oh, yeah i think they get a really strong point
0: oh um, and i agree completely i think it's I, I actually for the first time have been impressed by uh, a generation coming you know coming through to actually have a formed opinion and conviction mm. to back themselves. whether wh- Where they're coming from is irrelevant to the point that they're actually standing up and having an opinion and forming it and doing the work required to be respected and commendable, right?
2: It's really interesting because mm. we didn't. No. I mean, you and I are roughly the same age. Yeah. We came through with, fear, uh, uh, you know, individuals had strong convictions about mm. some things, but as a generation... We didn't have any cause. We didn't no. have it there was no there was no light on the hill yeah. for those of us who were born in the in the seventies and eighties really. Mm. No. And now we've got an new generation going. Mean, my daughter is fifteen and she is passionate about mm. the environment and mm. she looks at it in very black and white terms. Yeah. And part of that I think is being fifteen.
1: Sure,
0: of course, of course.
2: But yeah. an equally significant part is that she literally looks at it. As the defining issue Mm. of her time. Mm. Um, And so do her friends. Yeah. And I think that means that, that, well, there's hope. Yeah, there's hope. Yeah. (laughs) I
1: agree. I agree.
0: You know, and I I was thinking the other day about um, the workplace, you know, and how how have I, how have I over time, I, I was listening to, I think I was listening to the Zappos guy. Uh, talk about where he came from and what struck me as kind of crazy was you know like the workplace we've been sort of complicit in this really horrible uh defunct cultural environment where we've never really given a shit about this sort of capitalization run nobody's ever really stood up in the workplace and said no this isn't good enough this place you know this is shit it's all this cash trade problem you know i'm willing to just basically eat it for as long as i possibly can for cash uh, because I need that to survive. I'm in this machine. Yep. Um, but now we're really facing this reality where these generations of people are saying, no, this isn't good enough. You know, this workplace environment is not good enough. You know, I want more from this. I need to feel like I'm a part of something. You know, there's all this sort of stuff. And the, 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 you know the ivory tower screaming oh these this next generation of workers have no idea how to work everybody's talking about oh they don't understand what it means to really work but in a really weird way because we've been so complacent in our generation around change and let it just happen anyways for for this sort of capitalistic gain and all these other sort of ideas and goals that we kind of were given to run with um you know the the whole thing is kind of going to get flipped right i have i my my one of the big thing i'm seeing next to climate change and the things that are happening with the younger generation is quite possibly that the entry of these people into the workforce as well won't happen you know what i mean they're not going to be willing to do it you look at gig economy and the way that everybody's shifting yep. away yep. they're like i don't want to be fucking in this shit why would i want to be here all the time and then the reality is is like if you really break down work like in in the in the machines the corporate machines people aren't really working they're not working hard. They're just sitting around, kind of just doing the thing, getting by, you know, ticking the boxes, making sure everybody's happy.
2: They're playing the game, They're playing Joe. The game. Yeah. And, and it's one of my absolute pet hates. Yeah. Is um is two things. And 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 the context I give for you is that I, I've been in and out of the workforce in different roles in government, mm. um, in banking and finance, working yep. for myself. Uh, my first ever paid gig was was PepsiCo when they owned kfc franchises oh, right, in australia right. so i i opened kfc stores for the first two and a half years of my career oh and really moving around new south wales opening up how old were you you do that 18 nice um, uh, <laughs> the kfc guy so i was look i was the youngest kfc manager they ever had wow. so i was i was managing uh, uh, what at the time was a 1.8 million dollar a year business in 1989 yeah um at the age of 18 yeah um all of that experience, though, has led me to the point now where, where I have two pet hates. One is playing the game mm, mm. because I think it is utterly destructive for value. Yeah, yeah. And the other is corporate cordial, which is my… my Corporate cordial is my term and, and I stole it from somewhere. I just can't remember where. Yeah, yeah. So whoever invented the term corporate cordial, dude I'm, or, or dudette, I'm really sorry if I haven't acknowledged you. I just yeah. can't remember where I heard it. But corporate cordial is the yes sir, no sir, three right. bags full. sir. It's the, yeah. it's the pretending that we agree with something because we feel we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When in actual fact the voice in the back of our head is saying this is just fucking bullshit and when yeah. we're, we're – you know, I know this is not going to work, mm. but I'm going to smile and I'm going to grin, mm. and I'm going to pretend to do what I got to do mm. because I don't feel I have any option to do anything. Yeah, those two things—playing the game and and, and corporate cordial—they mm. destroy value, and that's what I think it really comes down to. That mm. you know, mo- your average punter, in my view, wants to work because they have to. Mm-hmm. But they actually want to work. If they have to work, they actually want to come and do something that adds value. They want to do something that they can at least look at it and go, well, that was okay. Yeah. And they want to get paid for it. Mm. Now, I don't think those two things are unreasonable expectations. No. But if that's the case, we need to start to treat people like that's what they actually want. Oh, yeah. And I look at too many workplaces, especially in the big corporates, Mm. and how do we treat people? Mm. We don't treat them like we're assuming they're going to come to work and try and do the right thing. Yeah. We treat them like they're idiots. We treat mm. them like they're lazy. Mm. We try and systemize them to the point where everybody's doing the same thing in the same way mm. to the same rhythm and routine. Yeah. Which looks really good on the consultant's playbook, mm. but it completely ignores the fact that you're dealing with a human being Yeah, who actually – naturally is not going to do that. Yeah. Or will do it if you give them no choice, but they'll do it badly. Yeah, yeah. And they're not even deliberately doing it badly. They'll do it badly because guess what? Human beings are actually not meant to operate mm. like a, a, a computer. Or a what do you mean by that? Well, the idea that a human being is going to follow a process and do the same thing in the same way all day, every day with a really low error rate. Mm-hmm mm. we're we're not that's not how we're designed Mm -hmm. our brains actually aren't designed like that yeah um the way we think the way our bodies operate i mean it's the reason why you can have someone who's really intelligent highly trained and yet they'll still four or five times out of every hundred repetitions they'll get it wrong yeah right They'll they'll miss things right right and Which is why I got to tell you, I'm really excited by some of the automation stuff that we're seeing coming down the pipe Mm. because it means. (laughs) Dog. (laughs) That was very cool, dog. (laughs) The uh, the automation stuff means a whole range of roles, which were boring and repetitive Mm. and mind numbing, will go. Yeah. The challenge, of course, is what are we going to do with all those people that we're doing those roles? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a bigger question. But, mm. but culturally in organizations, I think getting rid of some of those roles would be really positive. Mm. Well, one of the things that I, I believe is a big gap is
0: the retraining component, right? The the ability for people to have transferable skills. Um, you know, oftentimes because of the sort of, if you just take it, the highest level Moore's Law, kicking everybody's ass basically because technology is moving faster than basically the human capabilities uh, uh thing if you're not on top of constantly reframing what you do as work and monitoring it yourself you're you know you're never going to really be able to move with you know the technology changes yeah yeah so this automation stuff that's coming through it's going to come through very quickly and it will put people out of jobs we just had somebody in the business um that i work in come there and present stats and they were talking about you know technology um you know sort of a job loss number versus job creation number and, and they threw they're saying you know there were all four you know, the next wave of tech and the future state of what technology is doing for everybody and the whole world that we're going to live in. Um, And they were saying, oh, well, when um, virtualization and servers came in, the technology space um, came in, uh, you know, 800,000 people in the UK lost their jobs because it put them out of work, but it created three and a half million jobs. And it's not like a a complete, um, it's not a complete trade, right? Those 800,000 people uh, didn't just automatically go into the three and a half million people. That got jobs right because they were the ones that had to work the machines they didn't understand virtualization and it would be only a subset of them that realized if i don't get in front of this i'm going to lose my job right But i have to learn virtualization i have to learn the cloud i have to do all this sort of stuff so the retooling or the ability to retool and modify is an interesting thing which kind of is one of the cruxes of not necessarily the external factors that create negativity but technology yet here again is and I was experienced this when the cloud came through and tech comes through and people are like, oh fuck this! I don't want the cloud to arrive in our IT business. Block it, you know. Let's we want yeah, servers yeah. and we want lots of them that we all manage. We want huge stabs of people to deal with it, even though the complexity is massive for that. There's no automation and all that sort of stuff that help was helpful.
2: It's self interest ultimately. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I of mean, course. at the end of the day, self interest is king. Mm. I think it's one of something attributed to Paul Keating. At the end of the day, there's there's a story about Paul Keating, um, once being asked by one of his staff, "Well, why do you think this particular plan of yours is going to work?" Mm. And his response was, "Well, because self interest will always trump everything else." Oh, really? Um, and I, I think he's right. Mm. I think self interest is is driving a whole range of really poor behaviours around what you're talking about. So, I mean, I look at it and say I I actually think it's a responsibility in many cases of employers and leaders in the workplace to start identifying on behalf of their people the Mm -hmm. sorts of retraining that they need or Mm. will need and get in early and start to Mm. do that. But, of course, we don't look at that. We look upon it, you know, we let capitalism run, we let the market run And we go okay well guess what when 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 this new technology comes through well we're going to save two and a half thousand jobs yeah oh well
1: yeah right exactly that's good for us we'll 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 save a whole bunch of shareholders
2: self-interest my bonus the whole thing right yeah and uh, i i mean you you i think right at the beginning of this conversation we talked about the impact of technology and social media and other Mm, things mm. on on what we do and And i find social media in particular really frustrating Mm. at the moment because i see things like um you know richard branson being quoted over and over on social media Mm. around you know you've got to look after your people you look after your people more than your customers if you look after your people then your customers will be happy everybody says this because they go oh that's really cool that's really really good but then what do they do the moment they get back into their businesses and there's a tough decision mm. and the decision is I can take the easy way or the hard way, what mm. do they do? Mm. They take the easy way mm-hmm. and almost every time that means we sacrifice the well being of our people yep. for the well being of our shareholder, for the well being for senior executives anyway, of their bonuses. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds cynical, but I have to say it's it's I don't think it is. I really dark. Well, I think it's it's, it's a very reality.
0: public pattern, right? You know, we've got CEOs and failing businesses making millions of dollars. You know what I mean? It's a, it's an insane pattern. It's publicized. It's marked. Um, we've had giant corporations like Enron and all these different guys just completely bullshit their way through, right? So it's not an uncommon thing to hear of businesses operating poorly, making a lot of money at the upper end whilst everybody else suffers. You know. Um, and I'm really more of a corporate anarchist in my approach because, you know, I work for corporate. I make money, you know, doing my thing. Um, I enjoy and figure out a way to enjoy the work that I've got. But fundamentally, I don't believe in the, the system that's at play because it is self-interest. It's always around what someone else is going to benefit from in order for them to make the decision to move forward. Um, so, you know, that frustration, you know, is ever-present everywhere. But to the point where you end up playing the game, and everything becomes self-interest. So, you know, or something like a bias or then all of a sudden it becomes your inability to, you know, be self-aware, right? You actually shut down a lot of your natural capabilities to be a better person in order to you make sacrifice, right? You yourself are no longer yourself. Right, you are a version of yourself at work that operates in a particular way and when you yeah. come
2: home, you're a different version of that. Which is interesting when you start thinking about someone's values, right? Mm, because that means they have their values at home and then they have their values at work. Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes they're different and that's the scary part. Yeah. Because the healthiest people I know have a set of values which are not negotiable. Yeah. This uh. is who I am is what i do mm-hmm. these are the things that are not negotiable in my world yeah and i don't really care if you pay my salary or not mm. i'm not sacrificing those things yeah it's so important to mental health so important to people who generally are resilient mm. and have fulfilling good lives yeah that they're happy with yeah
0: and i think that that balance is very hard to figure out you know um you know it's 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 a it's a very different thing to go from like say high school then go to university right you think of like you're you're growing through these moments and you're kind of defining yourself in this sort of university mix of what am i going to be with these great aspirations yeah and then you drop off the cliff into the world of work where no one gives a shit about you really anymore it's just no what do you give me what are you going to how are you going to benefit me or my company? What can you give me? And again, that's stereotyping, the generalized workforce. I mean, there's some really cool startup stuff out there. There's good small businesses that do it differently. So, But they're harder to get into generally with you know little experience. So what ends up happening is, is that you then re- you modify yourself to become part of a money-making machine. And in a weird way, and this is probably a good segue into what you do for work, um, is that you become something that just is, you know, sort of self-sacrifice to make a buck, yeah. right? To climb a machine to go. Oh, well, that's the trajectory that has nothing to do with anything I've ever learned. You know, when I was given a medal every day for showing up to school, I don't get a medal anymore for showing up to work, right? So who am I? And oh, well, I guess I got to be the CEO, right? He's the one that's got her. She's the one that's got it all. So I got to go there. Um, you know, it's kind of like that analogy that I heard about politicians. That initially, politicians go into politics because they want to do good. But once they finally arrive and get there, and they get beaten down by the machine that is the political machine that they're there, then all of a sudden they're just part of the fixture that just cycles the shit around. Um, you know, I know that's again probably very generalist, but I've heard often you know people have these great ideas going in, and they it's beaten out of them. You know, it gets beaten
2: um, out of them, or they realize that they like it, they like the power, they yeah, like sure. the sense of responsibility, they like the kudos, but then they realize they've got to they've got to compromise yeah. so they can get they stay there yeah yeah a- and i think whether it's politicians on a 3 year election cycle or business people on a on a 12 month mm. public company reporting cycle mm. or government in the same sort of way the reality of the matter is if somebody's in a role and they like it mm. for whatever reason they want to stay there yeah but and then the question becomes well actually what have i got to do to stay here mm. And that can easily, especially if you don't have a really, really solid sense of personal values, mm. that desire to stay there can trump everything else. Yeah. And that's, I think, I why we see that. some really crap behavior sometimes. Mm. You know, when I, I, you know, you look at politicians or you, you look at business people and sometimes they do absolutely the wrong thing. Mm. And we all sit around gnashing our teeth and wailing and saying, How could they do that? How yeah. could they do that? But actually, you know what? They're about for the grace of God, go I. Mm. Because clearly they've. you know, they they didn't get up one morning and go, you know what, I'm just going to be a really dishonest prick. Oh, 100%.
0: Yeah, yeah, It just kind of happened, right? It does, yeah.
2: And then all of a sudden when you work with them, and sometimes in my coaching role I'm working with people and I'm saying, well, hang on a minute. Let's just reflect on where you are right now Mm. and the Mm. sort of person you are today. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you wanted? Mm. Is that what you set out to be when Mm. you began your career? Yeah. Or when you began this role? And often the answer is shit, no. Mm. And it's and then the conversation becomes, well, how did you get here? Yeah, what right. happened? Did you lose sight of what you were trying to achieve? Did Did you just gradually morph step by step into something different? Mm-hmm. And it's so common. Yeah, people don't. You know, the vast majority of people, in my view, don't get up every morning and go, you know what, I'm going to be a real prick today. Mm. They don't. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of them are. Yeah, yeah. And so you start that process around, well, hang on a minute, why? Why, Mm. you know, what what can we do to help you um, not be like that? Yeah. It's – and it's really challenging for some Mm. people when you start to push those buttons.
1: But really important. So, okay, so, I mean
0: uh – for lack of a better description, it sounds like you're in corporate coaching, coaching individuals. Is this coaching individuals, teams, businesses?
2: It's, it's both. Right. It's all three, in fact. Right. Um, the reality of the matter is if I think about some of my bigger clients, I'll initially be coaching, say, a group executive. Yeah. They'll then start talking about their team and some of the challenges they have with it. That often mm-hmm. then moves into group coaching and sure. group work with that team. Yep. Um. And then it flows down from there. So often you'll work across three or four different layers yep. in an organization, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's what I do. Ultimately, mm. is is um, work with individuals and businesses around what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, particularly when it's not working for them. Yeah, right. And logically, they they know it should be, mm-hmm. but for some reason, it's not. Yeah. Okay. And that's where I come in.
0: Yeah, okay. And do you have like a – I'm not going to say a template specifically, but do you look at particular markers and things that allow you to key in or or, or um, unpick these sort of blocks that these people are having or
2: these inabilities to move? Or I do. I don't have a system um, mm. or, or, you know, uh, here's answer this question there yeah, and yeah. I'll tell you what the problem is sort of deal. But there's usually some very clear mm. – issues and, and i think the first one is um individually a leader's got to be comfortable with who they are yes. and they've got to be really clear mm. about what matters to them and what doesn't mm-hmm. Now, when you that that's before anything else yeah there is stuff or point in having a brilliant business strategy that you want to lead and drive if you're not actually comfortable and happy with who you are there's just no point yeah because your people can smell falsity they can smell yeah a lack of of genuineness very very quickly Mm -hmm. and the moment they believe you're full of shit Mm -hmm. that's it yeah you've lost Mm. um so that first part is around let's be genuine let's make Mm. sure that you are who you are and let's stop drinking a corporate cordial yep and let's stop playing the game. Yeah, okay. And let's start leading from the heart and mm-hmm. leading from, you know, who you are. Mm-hmm. That's that's usually the first step. Yeah, yeah. Then the second starts to be, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. Because too many businesses don't have a plan. Yeah. And when they do have a plan, it's too big. It's too complicated. Yeah, very. They're lofty. trying to boil yeah. the ocean. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, regardless of how many resources you have, Mm. you can't boil the ocean successfully. It's too freaking big. Mm. You've got to start with the things that truly matter Mm -hmm. and focus on them Mm -hmm. and then resource them appropriately. Yep. And and so firstly, plans are often lacking Mm -hmm. or high level. Mm -hmm. And secondly, the implementation of those plans in businesses to do things differently mm. is under-resourced. Yep. And, and we, you know, many of us will have seen this before. Oh, look, we'll just do that on top of our day-to-day jobs. Yep. And it's like, what a load of crap. Yeah, yeah. I'm terribly sorry, but if you're already busy, mm-hmm. what makes you think you can add 15% on top of already busy and do a good job? Yeah, yeah. And I've seen this over and over and over again when I was working in big corporates, when I was working in government, and now when I go Mm. into organisations, when organisations are saying, hey, it's not working, Tim, can you come in and have a look? And you go in and you go, well, it's pretty obvious, guys. Mm. You have literally asked your people to transform, in inverted commas, a business. Yep at the same time as that transformation usually means we're going to lose 10% headcount mm-hmm. oh, and, by the way, we need to chop 15% off your operating budget. Yep. You start looking at that and you go, well, hang on a minute. how are you?" So, so you yeah. want to do something differently. You want to transform a business into something that is completely different from what it is today, mm-hmm. but actually at the same time you want to spend less money and you want to have less resources. Yep. Now you add that up and you go, we're putting the car before the horse. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. I find it intensely frustrating mm. because you and I both know, in our personal lives, if you want to do a project around the house, mm-hmm. well, guess what? You need some money. Yeah, you need some time. Mm-hmm. You might need some trades people to come in and help you. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the money, the time, and the people with the right skills. Mm. Whatever little project is around the house isn't going to happen. Yeah. Or if it does happen, it's going to take a very long time, and it's not going to be done very well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now you you think about that analogy, and then you think about many of the big corporates we work with. Mm-hmm. They do the same thing. Yeah. And then they wonder why it is that their people are frustrated, mm-hmm. annoyed, disengaged, yep. unhappy, mm. and not particularly productive. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, think about how you treat them. Mm. Uh, it's it's that that theme is very, very common except for the corporate cordial piece yeah where we now have a whole range of employee engagement surveys and and feedback methods <laughs> which actually tell the story that a leader wants you to hear mm. yeah like MPI stuff and all that yeah exactly yeah. now I'm a huge fan of polltric surveys and engagement and and, and talking to your people about where they're at. I think mm. it's critical. The problem, of course, is we do an engagement survey or we do a staff satisfaction, you know, we have a staff satisfaction program. Mm. And all the data outputs from that are saying, Joe, everybody's happy. Joe, everybody loves being here. Yep. Joe, everybody's highly engaged. Mm. And someone like me comes into a business and spends a week in the business and says, no, you're not. Yeah. Most people hate being here, mm-hmm. but we've actually got all of these key measurement tools which mm. tell us something else. Yeah, yeah. And then you end up with an argument with CEOs and group executives around, well, all this money you're spending on measuring this is actually, t- it's telling you what you want to hear. Mm. And actually, large, co- you know, large corporate consulting groups rely on that because what do they want? Yeah, they want to be um, invited back next year. Yeah, yeah and if i deliver you bad news you're less likely to bring me in next year yeah and all of a sudden what do you got a huge bucket of corporate cordial that everybody's drinking from oh, man. all together yeah yeah it's really frustrating and it's not uh, it's not that every business is like this mm. but far too many of them are mm. and that's i find that frustrating because there is so much value to be had you know businesses who are more profitable staff who get paid mm. bonuses for everybody yeah just by doing it right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like a lot of
0: so. There's a couple of interesting things. Like you know, I've got pretty specific opinions about short-term consultancy people, right? So people that are actually have designed a business around providing you what feels like a transformation, but really is just a short-term failure change that allows them to come back again. Um, and I've seen that over and over in the corporate workplace, which is just mind-boggling to me because they're just always on the payroll as a consultant company, coming in saying, no, no, but if you had done what we said in the past, because they basically give you something that's not going to happen. They have all the insight to tell you exactly what you need, but the change is too large. It's it's 15% over the top of the 100. It's a lot of that stuff. And I always find that very interesting that, that's a, it, that they can't see the trees for the forest on that type of shit and, and businesses and in corporate. Um, but the other thing that really kind of, it's it's one thing that I is my biggest bugbear is I think the art of leadership has died. I don't I it's I, in my career, uh, the amount of times there should have been leadership in play where someone I could look at and go, no, that's truly someone I'm interested in being led by, has been minimal at best. One or two people, three maybe, right? And if you think about a career where you're in there and you're doing what you believe is great work and you look around and you can't see anybody that's, you know, of leadership quality. There's a lot of good managers, a lot of people managing things, but there's nobody with the balls to be a leader anymore. And, um, and I find that really excruciating, uh, because the art I think of leadership has now become the art of confidence, not the art of actually being in, being in a leadership role where you're leading people Mm. by example, through your values, through, and, um, you know, a truly unbiased view of like, no, actually, I'm here to ensure we all move forward. Um, you know, I'm here to make us all successful. I'm here to sacrifice myself in order to take us where we all are trying to go. It's not that. It's very much uh, what am I going to get for me so that I can keep making my decisions to help moving me forward? You know, this sort of bullshit. And, you know, it's I I'm not saying that this is everywhere, but it's a very common symptom of many businesses that I've been a part of that are, you know, larger, uh, you know, and it's, you know, it's that corporate machine, you know, it's it's a bit of a bummer, you know. So I guess like one of the things that um, you could mention was the Richard Branson quotes, right? And uh, this sort of stuff. There's a vacuum out there of things where all these people that are in these leadership roles can just go and sit there and then just regurgitate this shit back at everybody as if they now know how to be a leader or that they, they're just stealing from somebody else and I actually said this about TikTok the other day, um, the art of being original is pretty dead. The art of copying, though, is massive, right? And so, you know, as an example, um, the my kids play water polo. I was watching one day, just the other day, where the coaches were being just, like infuriated, screaming at all these kids. And it was a multiple club, uh, multiple hour competition. Um, and every time the kids got in the pool, they, were, they weren't they were just getting into the pool now. They were doing these um, things called manus or something. It was like a sort of a foot first, like what I would have called when I was a kid, a jackknife. When you jump in kind of feet first with your head back a bit and you do this giant sort of balmy type thing that shoots the water as high as possible. And it wasn't all the kids, but there were all there was a quite a number of the minority of kids that were doing it to the point where all the coaches say, "Stop doing these bombings," and they were just having to race up and down the pool every time the kids were getting out of into the water to yell at these kids. Now I've been watching water polo for I don't know at least five years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Right? Never once have I seen such a transformational thing happen with kids doing this. Right. Never once, right? Never seen so many kids just doing, even though they're being told off, being told before everything to do to stop doing this. I even saw it again this weekend, but with less form. We're now getting emails from the clubs, from the coaches, from the school staff. Please tell your kids to stop. Do this. I overheard a coach telling my kid on the week, this is a week later, please don't do this because the kids were still kind of doing it. And I mentioned to my son, "Why? what happened? He goes, oh, I wasn't doing it. I said, no, 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 I'm, that's not the point why all of a sudden have all these kids decided that that's a thing to do? And I said, you know, he goes, oh, I don't really know. I said, was there something on TikTok? And he goes, oh, yeah. Some guys started something on TikTok where you jump into the into the water doing this move and like fucking wildfire, everybody copies. Because it's no longer about originality. It's about my ability to emulate something that was cool. So I'm part of that you know, sort of, I don't know, sect of people doing a thing. And I see that, you know, sort of emulating everywhere. No one's truly an original anymore. It's very easy to copy something that was original, right? Um, Because the balls to be original tends to get squashed right people go oh no that's not going to be any good or no no how oh, you don't want to make that take that risk or you don't want to do this oh you know what are you trying to do this isn't normal this isn't the status quo you know and it takes somebody <laughs> with true leadership potential so you know, i just find it interesting now in the so i guess the corporate workplace and life in general you know you can easily just copy now tiktok is a volume of copying machines it's a filter that you can fill in to just do what somebody else had already done that was originally quite cool and you can just, you know, recreate it. I don't know how TikTok savvy you are there, TK, but. uh
2: I'm getting more and more (laughs) savvy on TikTok. (laughs) This is what happens when you have teenagers. Yeah. Even if we set TikTok aside for a minute, leadership takes courage. Yeah. And it isn't a popularity contest, Mm -hmm. but it's become one. Yeah. Or, instead of it being um, that, 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 that phrase around, well, oh, I'm not into this for the popularity, has become ex- an excuse for being a poor leader. Mm-hmm. In other words, well, I don't really care what people think. I'm going to do the right thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Becomes an excuse for not actually influencing people effectively. Sure. For not doing the right thing. Mm. Um, a- and… It's a source of never-ending frustration to people like me mm-hmm. that ego mm-hmm. gets in the way so often mm-hmm. and drives poor behaviours. Yeah. So the senior leader who says no, 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 I'm, 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 this is me being courageous. You know, I will do the right thing, even if that annoys some people, even if people don't like me, I'm mm-hmm. going to do the right thing. The challenge is, I think you have to be reflecting constantly am I saying that Mm. because I truly believe it or am I saying that because it enables me to say, screw everybody else, Mm. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And I can drink the corporate cordial. Mm. I can work out a way of justifying this to myself. Mm. Um, And and I I mean the very best example that I've got of this is is I remember in my last probably three or four years um, working in the banks as a senior leader, there was this this drive towards authentic leadership, mm-hmm. which I think is a bit wanky, frankly. Yeah. But the idea was you've got to be the real you. You've got to be mm-hmm. authentic. But then that became a catch cry for, okay, well, you know, Joe, do you mind if I'm authentic with you? Mm-hmm. And what that what that became was a proxy for Joe. I'm about to do something that you're really not going to like. Yeah, yeah. But I'm doing it, and I'm being authentic, mate. So it's all okay. It's all good, yeah. And it just and, and it, but it was it was fascinating because I was watching people going, nothing's changed. You've just taken this concept around authentic authentic leadership, which yeah. actually, I it, when I first came out, I fully I, I thought it was fantastic. Sure. Of the course, problem yeah. is. Yeah. It then gets used as an excuse to just keep doing the same old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, um, I was being authentic when mm. I told that person that they're friggin' useless and I didn't want them in my team. Mm. So I know you weren't. Mm. You've probably been saying that to people your entire career. Now you're just dressing it up in whatever way is acceptable sure. with yeah. the current leadership or management mm. fad. Mm. Well, in actual fact, we should move away from this concept, of, you know, these these fads, these trends mm. in leadership because actually leadership hasn't changed that much.
0: Yeah, I think the concept yeah. of leadership hasn't changed much and, and the the position it has in anything has not.
2: Well, and what works and what doesn't has yeah. also not changed no, a I great agree. deal. In fact, you can go back and read reputable um, books by leaders mm. going back 50 years mm. And there are some common themes in them that haven't bloody changed. Yeah, You know, character, values, transparency, Mm. treating people with respect and dignity. Mm. All of these things are the hallmarks and have been for a very long time Mm. of very successful senior leaders. Mm. So I don't quite understand every time there's a new fad that comes out around say authentic leadership or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be. Why do we feel the need to go looking for a new fad or a new mm. trend, when in actual fact mm. there's some fairly well established ground rules around what will help um, get the most out of your people?
1: Yeah,
2: we don't. Why dress them up?
1: Yeah, well,
0: I, well, I think there's a couple couple things. Well, like one of the new things that I I've come across more recently is that we've, uh, as a society, have really confused. Uh, two things, two, two very specific things, um, capability and confidence, uh, you know, and that that the muddying of those two concepts now, uh, you know, uh, has, has created this sort of falsified leadership. Right. These people that are just hugely confident. Right. But in, incredibly incapable. Right. Um, people who are capable generally are capable and they do a thing, but they may lack the confidence and they may not represent what we believe is, you know, the ability to do a thing. Right. Um, you know, leadership takes courage. I think I agree with that a, quite, quite a lot. And it, it's a choice to be a leader. You have to choose to do it. Right. Um, and so therefore courage is a big one. You know, you have to have the courage to make that choice to go do a thing. Um, but normally, uh, people that are hugely confident come across as leaders. But it does not mean that they're capable at doing leadership. They're not even capable necessarily of doing any of the work that other people are doing. They're just very confident in what that they the way they represent things, right? And you find um, the concept of you know whoever screams the loudest is generally heard in a meeting, and that's the direction things are taken. Um, you know, so there's a lot of these really sort of uh, things that have happened through our complacency that have created this context of you know the people who get put in charge are not always. And this is for, you know, sort of stereotype, but generally don't have the capabilities of the people below. And I call it um, a massive gap. That's why I call it the ivory tower, because in the ivory tower, you know, everything's safe. Everything's pretty. You've, you know, you would find dining. You've got servants. The whole world is happening up there for you. And it makes sense to you up there. But all the plebs on the other side of the great divide where all the work actually gets done that pays your servants and puts food on your table and does all the shit in your ivory tower, you have no concept of how that work is actually created. The actual grind that takes place inside of the machine that's below you, you don't even, you don't even understand it. There was a time when I was uh, you know, early on in my career when the people who were in charge, the leaders that were in play were the people that started at the bottom level. They were the people that worked their way through and they understood how it meant to turn the screws, to put the machinery together, to understand the plights of the people on the, you know, the working line, right? And they knew what it meant to do it so that when they went up there and started making decisions, they understood the breadth of what those decisions were and the impacts of what they were. That is gone. I, don't, I just don't see people that are in charge anymore uh, making decisions about the direction of company and understanding the strategy and putting these things in play, truly understanding the impact, the flow of these things.
2: I think we have to be really careful Mm -hmm. because in my view there's no no tangible link between I've been there and done that Mm -hmm. and a good leader. Sure. The difference is a good leader will be constantly referencing back to the people around them who know what they don't. Sure. And taking advice from them. That's true, yeah. And so you end up with a line in the sand which says there are leaders out there who in my view are – they lack capability in the leadership space. Mm. But they have enormous confidence. Yeah. So they just get out there and wing it. Mm -hmm. But the reality then is what they're really doing is experimenting on their people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of – Making sure that people truly understand what the capabilities of leadership are Mm -hmm. and what it takes Mm. to get it working and to be making decisions that have massive impact on everybody else on a regular basis. Sure. I think that's where the big missing link is. Mm. And leaders far too often are in their positions for the wrong reasons. Mm. Uh, We promote people who were very good at their previous jobs. So we promote them into the next layer or the next level in an organisation. Somehow blithely assuming that that capability is an indicator that they'll be also very good at the next job Mm. up the line or a couple of rungs up that ladder. Mm we got books we got research we've got we've got anecdotes that make it very clear there's no link mm. and yet over and over again what do we do mm. we promote someone into a managerial or a leadership role for no reason other mm. than well they were really good at the role below yeah yeah and i think that i just don't that, I think that's a sense of frustration that many people feel is, well, hang on a minute, we've known for years and years that, this is, that there is no tangible link. Mm. Capability at one level does not mean you're going to be really good at the next job up because yeah. the competencies required are different mm. and yet over and over again organisations just do that. Yeah. And I think we've got to work out a way – Of getting cut through around around some of these issues Mm. because i think people are getting very tired Mm. of working for idiots
1: yeah
0: yeah i I agree i think that that, you know the, the example being that people aren't taking jobs they're working gig economy you know i'd rather you know be an uber driver than go work at um i don't know you know in some grindy job where i you know i actually have
2: control over the amount of time and the effort and trade for cash well, and a, a, the fascinating thing for me is, I hear, um, I hear the union movement in mm. particular, but I hear a, a, a range of people railing against the gig economy as mm. being some sort of a negative, yeah, yeah, yeah thing. Yeah, yeah. And yet, I look at it and I go, oh, I, don't, I just don't see it that way. It's the ultimate choice. Mm. Yeah, if I choose to work in a gig economy. Mm and make 20 bucks an hour with no other security attached to it. Mm -hmm. The first thing I'd like to say is people make that choice. Yeah, exactly. And secondly, they've made that choice for a really good reason. Mm. And often it's not, as some of the friends in the union movement would say, it's not because they have no choice, it's not because there aren't, permanent jobs out there for them it's not because they can't get security it's actually because they're making a conscious choice that i don't want to work for someone else yeah yeah, yeah i yeah, want it's... control over my life i want mm. control over when i work mm-hmm. i want to know that when i work harder i'm going to earn more money mm. whereas when we go into a salary role on a 38 or a 40 hour week guess what mm. working harder does not necessarily get you a greater reward oh, yeah. we see this over and over again we see bonuses in the corporate world where someone works really really hard all year and they still get a crap bonus. Yeah. And then someone else who works half as hard as them gets what? Yeah, the percentages more. Yeah, yeah. More or even more, or more
0: or more because they're higher up the hierarchy and you know, they got there. It's like a rite of passage where you Absolutely. Know,
2: Well, yeah. and I think so, I think we I think some parts of of our community are um almost willfully misinterpreting what's Mm. going on with the gig economy Mm. Um,
0: yeah of course well and and it's disruptive it's just it's disruptive to the status quo you know the status quo machine is you know and everything's wired and even you look at the way that taxes work you look at the way the whole thing works it's all wired around this really traditional model anything that rocks that model is going to you know fuck it up i mean gig people will still pay tax but it's not feeding through the mega machine where the giant corporate tax is happening and the double and the triple taxes are all taking place in the government you know what I mean I don't know you look at the way that a lot of things work and the first thing that happens if, if, if something is done that works for the people and makes really a lot of noise in the standard sector in the traditional sectors, you know that that's a good thing right? It's just one of those things. They wouldn't be complaining about it if it wasn't going to really do something uh, to change the way that we all perceive and work, right? Um, and again, the really good point. People who work in the gig economy choose to work in that economy. They choose to trade off quite a number of things. And, you know, and that's also something they're very aware of as well, because I've, I've interviewed these people before through work and the work I do with design stuff. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, every, you know, I find it interesting that we can, we can have a world where people are migrating away from security in a standard job and then all the noise that comes with that for insecurity and control, you know, and then that balancing act,
2: right? So, well, and a sense of fulfillment mm. and the ability to manage their own mental health in a different yeah. way. I mean, mm. I, I look, I have to say, already this year, mental health for our business is just becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it is, absolutely. It is huge, and much of it links to poor leadership and poor management mm. in organisations that that where the outcome is it's making people sick. Yeah. So,
1: so okay, we'll dig into that a little
0: bit. So, where, so what are you, what are you doing, like, kind of around that with uh, that? How's that integrated into the work you're doing?
2: Well, with we, so this year already, we're finding uh, we we. We pulled some programs together around mental health. So yeah, we yeah. pulled programs together around recognising mental health as a starting yep. point. So yep. so what are the sort of things that you can look for in your people mm. to give you some early warning signs that someone might need some help? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. The staggering lack of knowledge there is amongst leaders, managers and and first-line supervisors around what, common mental health challenges are out there. What are the symptoms and what do we look for? The lack of information is staggering. Mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is how do we then start to manage poor performance that's linked to mental health challenges? Mm -hmm. Because suffering from, you know, depression or PTSD or anxiety or whatever the the particular challenge is, it is not an excuse for – poor behaviour, nor is it an excuse for poor performance or underperformance. And yet that's what often happens. Mm -hmm. So working at a managerial level and a leadership level around, right, how do you do this? How do you have difficult conversations with your people Mm -hmm. around performance? And when your people turn around and say, oh, you know, I think I'm suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do you do then? Yeah. Yeah because it isn't okay to use these illnesses as an excuse for not doing the right thing. Sure. The illness may be the reason that you're not doing the right thing. Sure. But there's a difference between that's the reason and here's what I'm doing about it. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it's okay for me to behave like that because this is my condition. Sure. Sure. Um, So that's the second area. So the first, how do we recognize these things? Mm -hmm. Second, how do we manage them? Yep. Um, But the third is how do we make sure the environments that we create are not actually making our people sick?
1: Sure, yeah. yeah.
2: And you almost have to do the first one and the second one. You almost have to lift the awareness followed by how do you manage it Mm -hmm. to get people to the point where you can then have a – realistic adult conversation with them around whether they're complicit or otherwise right complicit's a big word but it's true Mm -hmm. at the end of the day in many organizations the way in which we are managing our people and the cultures that we've created Mm -hmm. are making our people sick yeah and 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 as an extension making our community sick yeah yeah i agree um and we can blame social media, we can blame technology, we can we can blame all sorts of stuff. But by far, one of the biggest contributors to poor mental health, in in my experience, is the workplace.
1: Yeah, just gonna push that mic towards
2: you.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think the the way that um, the checkout model, though, right? And so, yes, the workplace, I think, does, and I agree with that. That's actually quite interesting because. You know, you bring that home, but what ends up, you know, rather than people facing what's going on or dealing with it or being proactive about, you know, kind of fixing that sort of mental issue or, you know, like or, or the 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 sort of, I don't know, the mental health component. Not a mental illness, that's really a tough one to tackle, but mental health, right, is, a, is a, it's something you should work at, right? Um, and I find, you know, my my biggest argument around social and something I'm doing with Haley is, you know, just get off the fucking junk, you know, which is social. Social and television and all this sort of... That's just a distraction. That's just to turn the mind off of the noise that you have from a mental health perspective. To so not go forward and deal with it. Um, but one of the things that I've been talking about a lot more recently is just taking responsibility. You know, you as an individual are 100% responsible for the state at which you are in, right? You know, I mean, external things, history, family, trauma, yes, but the reality is, is that your perspective and the way that you perceive these things generally dictate what you're going to do
2: next. Well, you've got to own it. You have to own it. You have to own it, one of And one of the most powerful models that I use in this space is is above and below the line behavior. Mm-hmm. Have you come okay. across that before?
0: Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Look, it, it, it it's really simple. Mm. And it simply says that there's behavior which is above the line, which is a behavior that we want. Mm-hmm which is which is taking ownership taking accountability taking responsibility yeah not for other people's stuff yeah, but yeah. for your own behavior yeah. Yeah. including how do I react to what's going on around yep. me yep. right so i don't have to own the shit other people do yeah but i sure as hell have to own my reaction to it yeah because that's exactly. mine yeah and then there's below the line behavior mm-hmm. blame excuse yep. deny bed And the reason the model is so powerful is, first of all, it's a really simple way of thinking Mm. about how am I going to behave. Yeah, yeah. But secondly, if we accept that part of the human condition is we go below the line regularly. Yes. We need to stop saying, oh, well, that meant you're a bad person. Yeah, yeah. And we need to just start saying, get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. As in below the line, blame, excuse, deny, Mm -hmm. BED, get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Or get above the line. Mm -hmm. You don't have to sit down and say, well, Joe, when you did this behaviour, when you made this comment, I mean, think about your kids, right? If you turn around to your kids and you labour a point and you go over and over it, what do they do? Mm, They shut down. They shut down. They roll their eyes. Mm. But if you simply say to them, hey, get above the line. Mm. That's all you have to say. Yeah. And in yeah. doing so, you're acknowledging the fact that human beings mm. regularly go below the line. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And all we need to do is gently remind people, mm. hey, we've agreed that's not where we want to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really powerful way of mm. starting to drive significant changes in personal accountability. Mm. But we use it around organisations as well mm. because actually – An organisation and the culture that they have is actually nothing more than the sum of the activities and the outlook and the behaviour of their people. Yeah. Which means if you want to change any of these sort of cultural challenges in Mm -hmm. organisations, you have to win the hearts and minds and you have to influence the behaviour of the individuals concerned. Mm -hmm. Which is why having a bunch of values on a poster you stick on the wall is a complete not utter waste of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, 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 it's why um, silly things like having, having the ID lanyard with the company's values printed mm-hmm. on the lanyard,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's not that I think we shouldn't do it. I just don't think it makes any difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I find that, again, if you go to this above the line, below the line, you know, component, um, if your entire organization lives below the line,
2: and many it, do. And
0: many do. Uh, then, therefore, it doesn't matter what you put on the wall or on a lanyard, um, 100%. because they don't see what's it right in front of them. You know, you could have a sign that says, "You know, don't, you know, don't walk across this uh, road," and they won't see it because they're too ultraly consumed and below the line to even read anything. In front Absolutely. Of them. Um, you know, and it's, it's it's. I don't know if there's. I mean, I don't think there's a singular answer. I don't think there's even a set of answers or even a methodology here to solve this, uh, but the one thing that keeps resonating, you know, and I know resonates in myself is, you know, what is my role in this? What am I responsible for? And how does that then become something I can influence outwards? Right. So I don't accept the fact that, you know, um, people would live below the line, you know, in a, in a group and in my team and the way that I design the work that I'm going to do every day with a group of people. So therefore I immediately start to pull them away from that, but that's just what I do because I can't handle it. Right, and that's not the way that I operate. So again, it comes down to individuals' choices and accepting what it is and taking responsibility. I mean, ultimately, the entire thing, no matter which way you cut it, you can blame everybody. You can blame a whole bunch of shit for why you are where you are. Maybe you're not where you want to be financially. Maybe you're not in your career, or maybe you don't have the relationships you want. Whatever it is, but ultimately, it boils down to your accountability and your responsibility and all that. And if you can't figure it out, and you said this with leadership. The authenticity, being comfortable with who you are, and then representing that outwards. I mean, I just, I just don't know anymore if people are truly being themselves, you know, and taking that responsibility.
2: I don't think it's any worse than it has been, Joe. I mean, if I if I reflect back over my working life thirty years now, I don't think it's any worse. It's a little different, but I come across some people who are all over it.
0: You don't think people fake it more?
2: Because they can just grab no. shit and use no. it? Or do you think it's just the same
0: as before? People just used to read it and use it and Yeah, I, I and don't think it's it. changed as Maybe. much as we yeah. think.
2: But I do I do think it's become easier to fake it because mm. you jump you know, you jump on a Google or you jump onto mm. you jump onto LinkedIn, you do some searches, mm. you can come up with a whole bunch of stuff in inverted commas, which yeah. sounds really cool. That yeah. you can pass off as yours, or, or or you can very quickly sound like you have expertise in yeah. something. Yeah, I think that's easier now than it ever was. Mm. But I don't think fundamentally, people are, are better or worse than they have been in the past. Mm. And, yeah, I, and I don't. So. And it. I, I think it can feel like that sometimes. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think that's. Um, I don't think that's actually true.
3: Hmm.
2: I think really good, solid, inspirational leaders who knew what was going on, who could who could take a group of people and lead them towards an outcome, I think they've always been rare.
1: Hmm.
2: Right. Okay. And as a result, um, we spend most of our lives working with and for leaders that are utterly uninspirational. Hmm do you think they deserve the title of leaders if they can't do it? Well, I don't think they are leaders because my personal view on leadership is leadership is not a title. Leadership yeah, yeah. is not a position. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I, w- I would use our, our experience together in ice hockey and the fact that there are people all across the sporting community, not just for ice hockey, for a whole range of sports, mm. who don't occupy any formal structured leadership role at mm. all, but mm. they lead. Yeah, yeah and they influence, mm. and they they are a force of good and a force of positive outcomes within mm. that particular community. Yeah. In fact, often the people who strive for leadership positions, particularly in voluntary organisations, are the exact opposite. Mm. They're striving for leadership roles for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. Normally because they want to push their kids ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they take on, you yeah. know, it's... And to a certain extent, you could say there's cynicism in that, but the reality is leadership and a position Mm. are irrelevant. You've only got to look at Scott Morrison and Mm. the bushfires, right? Sure. sure. He's a dude theoretically occupying a very senior leadership position, arguably the highest in the country, Mm. and yet it made no impact on his ability to lead during that particular period. Yeah, yeah. The reality is, if you're not here, Mm. if you're not present, Mm. you can't lead. Yeah. And that, and when, you know, in his case, it was literally, you know, physically not present. But you can be here and not be present. Mm. Mm. And I think there's a lot in that. Yeah. People have got to step up and be present Mm. and in the moment Mm. to lead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Grid.
0: He loved the coronavirus kicking in, didn't he? What a great distraction away from those bushfires. <laughs> My God. And oh. I never, he perked right up when I saw anything to do with coronavirus in him. He was like, oh, coronavirus. Oh, get all these people coming in. We know what we're doing. This is We've got all this shit going down. Australia was still on fire, but that was that was a big one for him. He loved oh, it. you're a cynic at times. <laughs>
2: hey, I mean, I, I got to say, I, I would criticize all of our political leaders for the last decade. Yeah equally sure i think it's and i think it is really sad yeah because this means that the the role models for leaders Mm. at the highest levels in this country yeah in fact around the world yeah you just got to look at them oh yeah um you look at the uk you look at france look at australia yeah you look at the us you look (laughs) at canada yeah the list goes on and you go, hang on a minute, these are supposed to be the role models of, of you know, people, individuals at the mm. pinnacle of of service-based leadership yeah, to yeah, their exactly. countries. Yeah. Who are the exact opposite. Mm. The only exception for me right now is in New Zealand.
1: Yeah,
0: amazing, right?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and... My personal view is it's got nothing to do with gender. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Uh, you know, she's choosing to be this way. Absolutely. She,
0: she makes choices that are so unbelievably unique and real that connect all the way down to the just the individual, you know, the citizen, right? I've not seen that in a long time.
2: And uh, it's lovely. And inspiring to see it, and then you wonder, well, hang on a minute, how the hell did she end up winning a political office? Because
0: yeah, I still don't know that backstory. I don't know if I want to know.
2: No, I'm happy. I'm just happy it's happened. Absolutely. Um, But but if you think role models, we don't. You know, the the leadership challenges we see across our community and across business. Mm. If you look at the role models right now, Mm. they're poor. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, role models are definitely and non-existent. Well, to a certain degree, I find it hard to find. Like, I, I've said this many times, even for myself, right? So I've, I've probably spent the last phew, probably decade of my career looking for a role, a role model, a true mentor, somebody who could take me to a place that I feel is where I need to go. Not not for I know I know who I am, and I've always been quite confident in, like, no, I know what my impact is, and I can play. But, you know, who who is someone I can look to who will see me for who I am and help me understand how I can play this out because there's so much about, you know, becoming a professional and doing professional shit that you just don't know until you're doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I would have liked to have said, Hey, the road kind of points in this direction and I can help you think about what that looks like. I've it's, it's rare for me to meet somebody um, to the point where I've given up. I, I don't know that there are mentors or people out there that I, can be thrown down with there's not often in that moment for me so i don't know it's a lack of contact Mm. and network and it's not i'm not saying it's impossible but what i do find is that i've now created you know my own personal context of like you know well perhaps you know in that environment i become too intimidating or it becomes too much for individuals in this but it's kind of also why i have this view of leadership as well you know and it's kind of like the people that are in these roles that i'm looking at maybe that isn't the traditional trajectory, those aren't where my mentors would be, right? And so I've been wired to think it's up the chain, you know, to find them. And reality is is that I bumped into other people who are peers who I find more inspiring and provide more of that you know, feedback loop on, well, that's interesting how they did that. And I've kind of redefined it. You know, it's more around shared experiences, understanding other people's experiences, kind of why I do the podcast as well, to learn about people and what they've yep. come from, you know, and so, you know, I enjoy the conversation because I find that I'm learning more from just hearing about how other people do their shit than I am from anybody who's just kind of paved the way before.
2: I think it's all about where do you look? Mm. Where do mm. you look for your mentors? Where do you look for ideas? Yeah, yeah. In my experience, if you look up within your funnel, so to speak, for these things, you're unlikely to find anything inspirational or different. Yeah. I mean, you'll absolutely find the key to getting ahead in your own context. Sure. Because you'll be able to look at people who are succeeding in your environment and Mm -hmm. you go, well, if I want to succeed in my environment and – if success is promotion and further you know moving yeah. further up the ladder then the ladder. there'll be plenty of people you look at pick pick the ones who happen to be successful yeah mimic them
1: yeah mimic them run with it yeah, yeah. Yeah. learn
2: from them mm. do it their way and that doesn't mean you will be successful but it means you've got a much greater chance of being yeah. successful
3: yeah mm-hmm.
2: But if you look at those people and you go, they're not particularly inspiring individuals. If you look mm. at those people and say, well, hang on, I'm not sure I want to be like that. My advice to people is look elsewhere. Yeah. And and if you actually want to develop and grow as a human being, mm-hmm. almost deliberately look elsewhere. Yeah. Look for people who are going to do it differently. Yeah. Okay. Look for people with courage. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> i I was a policeman for thirteen years, Yep. and I left the police for a couple of reasons. yeah. One of them was, I realized that leading people was my passion, mm-hmm. so I didn't need to be in the cops sure. to lead people. In fact, if you want to lead people differently, if you want to lead them without having to play the game so to speak then mm-hmm. you've got to leave organisations like the cops because they're very conservative very process driven etc. sure sure but the second really important reason was I spent much of my career working in narcotics working in in you know the the DEA type roles right. when you form the view that the way to combat the drug problem is to legalise the damn stuff hmm treat it like a medical issue, not like a crime. When you form that view, you then need to have the courage if you're a police officer to go, I have to leave. Sure, right. Now, at the time, I had people who I could talk to these things about. Mm -hmm. But if I'd simply spoken to people inside the police force, I'd Mm -hmm. probably still be there. Sure. Because there are a number of them inside the police force who Mm – have a similar view, but what they would say is, well, you can probably do more good from inside the system than you can from out, et cetera, et cetera. But actually the truly courageous act is when you realise I'm compromising my own sense of values Mm. if I stay. Interesting. How will I live with myself Mm. when I'm enforcing laws that I fundamentally believe to be wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that process, if you like, for me, when it happened to me, showed me the value of looking elsewhere for mentors, mm. looking, looking outside the square, yeah, yep. outside your funnel mm. or your lane mm. to see. hang on a minute, what, what are they doing in these different lanes over here? Mm-hmm. And what do they think about this? Mm. And how would they react to it? Sure. And I, I, I remember having a conversation with with um, uh, one of my mentors at the time, who who had long retired. Um, he fought in World War Two. He was he was very clear though that if you enforce laws that you don't believe in. Mm-hmm. How are you different from Hitler's yeah. Gestapo? How yeah, yeah, are you yeah. different from from um, you know soldiers in the in the Imperial Japanese Army? How exactly. it, it is the you know if you think about it, we can we can look at it and say, oh, but that was at wartime, or that was a really big issue. He would say to me, you know what? Big issues grow from little issues. Mm-hmm big compromises of your integrity emerge from lots of little compromises compromises. and and ultimately you have to make some decisions Hmm. around what are you prepared to do Hmm. and i've always looked back on that as an example of well this guy was retired Hmm. He was in the military his whole life. Yeah, yeah. He never he never worked in business. Yeah. But he had a very clear view mm. on right, wrong, how do you want to live your life? What are we trying to achieve? Which was powerful enough mm. um, th- that he was able to have a huge impact, even in his 70s in retirement back mm. in, the, in the, the late 90s. He was mm. absolutely able to influence outcomes. Right. Simply because he refused to say, oh, well, you know, sometimes you just got to say, right, well, i got to suck it up because Mm. in the long term this is what success will look like. Yeah. And he was very clear. If you become – because I used to say to him, well, what about if I stay in? What about if I continue having a policing career?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And then when I'm really senior, Mm. because some of the people that I was in with at the time who were my peers are now superintendents, assistant commissioners in the police force – What about if I stay in because I have a better chance of influencing Mm. the outcome when I'm in those roles? And he was absolutely blatant with me. If you've compromised your integrity, if you've Mm. compromised your beliefs to get there, you lose the right, you lose the moral authority to do that once you've arrived.
0: Mm. That's interesting.
2: And I found that fascinating. Mm. But it resonated with me and has done ever since around you just can't compromise on some of this stuff because the moment you do you lose the right to try and make the changes that you believe in Mm. the politicians another perfect example of that Mm. well i think that that kind of is a great summary of a lot of what we're
0: talking about today you know, um, we kind of started at that point about a lot of this sort of stuff in the in, in the workplace and the way that an employee might become, you know, mentally un- unhealthy uh, over their time and all of the compromises they've been making. We talked about it with politicians. We've talked about it, you know, even with leaders or people that go into the business. Um, you know, it's a very interesting concept to think about, you know, the idea of compromise uh, and taking that analogy of all these small things turn into big things over time, I think it really speaks to you know, a lot of what I think a lot of people are gonna struggle with in their lives. You know, if you could actually tell the younger generations as they're you know, moving through life that, you know, watch what you're compromising on, be careful, because a lot of this could exa- um, be exacerbated and, and turn into a bigger problem for you later. It's the definition of a lot of the things that people face moving forward. Um, Tim, that's huge. Uh, but I do want to ask you one question. Yeah, mate. What is one piece of gossip about you that no one would know that you'd be willing to share today?
2: <laughs> one piece of gossip. One about, little man. bitty,
0: little nugget, something that, uh, you know, a little bit of truths, a little bit of things that uh, maybe maybe no one would know about you or maybe a so, little select would. Uh, look, maybe 10 people listen to this thing. Who knows? Maybe 20. I don't know. Recently, it's gotten pretty busy. I'm getting a lot more listeners. But what's one little bit? What's a little nugget? You got uh, anything?
2: A little nugget, yeah. little something that most people wouldn't know about me. Mm. Let's open the door a little bit. A little, <laughs> little door open. What do we got? Uh, I am a procrastinator. Are you now? So I work really hard on it. Sure. I work really hard not to. But sometimes when things are really difficult, sometimes really challenging stuff. Yeah. yeah I'll put it on the back burner. <laughs> Over and over again. Yeah. And then it moves from being something that's little and unpleasant. To something. Something big and unpleasant. <laughs> I, I'm not always good at it. I work really hard at it and I'm so lucky. I'm, I'm married to a woman who understands that really yeah, sure. well. And so she calls me out on it. You know, when, when, mm. when my lovely wife Jen sees me doing some things and says, Tim you need to face into this issue. We need to deal with this. Yeah. And she reminds me constantly that that one of the key patterns in our relationship, not between ourselves, but where she's been watching me over my world, she keeps saying to me, Tim, these things that you avoid, these things, you know, these little things, there aren't many of them, but she says to me, every time you do them, Mm. you come back to me and you say, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. That was actually not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. But yet you still procrastinate about some things and avoid some things. Yeah. Knowing that actually it's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. I don't know most people perceive me in that way. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I'm I, I you know, I tend to make stuff happen. I tend to mm. I always say I always be part of the solution or part of the problem. So I'll always jump in and help. I will sure. always make things happen. But still there are just those things. Some things. That I avoid, Ooh. and then they they just become bigger. They do, and sometimes they blow up in my face. Not very often, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. they blow up in my face. That would be the one yeah, thing. That would probably be one of those things.
0: Well, cool, because I normally what I my my whole theory is is that you know once you get one of these things out on the table, you can't hide from it anymore. So now that people know you might be a little bit of a procrastinator
2: what well, then they'll say something to me that's and i right.
1: and then you got you can't deal with but it but
2: you know what i'm totally okay with that because that's if cool. i because in the in some of these areas where that's exactly where i am yeah yeah um it's it's often not even that i'm actively avoiding it it's sure. just that i'm busy and i'm doing no, no. stuff understood. and understood yeah and i will have some things that'll come up four or five times that i will go oh shit i really need to do that and then yeah. life moves on and i forget yeah, yeah. and i hate that because yeah. If it's something that truly doesn't matter, I don't care, right?
1: Yeah, sure, sure.
2: But actually every now and again it'll be something that is small but mm. does matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I do, every time I don't do it, I kick myself, oh, damn, why didn't you do that? Yeah, yeah. Remind yeah. me. Anyone listening who knows me, if you come across that or you think that's happening, just remind me. yeah. Ask me, are you procrastinating about this? Yeah, I'll deny it, <laughs> but course. then I'll probably go and do something. Go, about go back, it. And,
0: and, and, and or <laughs> we just call Jen, be like, Yo, Jen, TK procrastinating? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you, just you, you just could do that.
2: Rewire the circuits. I don't know that she'd like to be involved um, in all this. <laughs> well, I don't think I think she would say, I gotta deal with enough of your yeah. crap as nah. it is. I don't want to have to deal with everybody else's problems with you. That's so. fair.
0: Well, Tim, I appreciate you coming on.
2: <laughs> I appreciate having it was the fun. Opportunity to it was chat. interesting, it was yeah. yeah.
0: All right, buddy. Well, thank you, and uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll let you know when this thing's on the internet. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate buddy.
2: it.
1: And there you have it. That is Tim Kitchen uh, talking
0: to you about his life and the thing that he does his his work his commitment to, you know, building leaders and helping people be mentally stable and finding that balance to life. Um, An interesting tidbit from a mentor-type situation, something that I've always longed for, was somebody to give me those fruitful little thoughts. Um, You know, look, I'm not saying that I'm I'm necessarily feeling some sort of massive gap in my life, but, you know, it would be fun. It'd be fun to have someone that I could call up and talk shit with who, you know, gives me some of that, I don't know. I feel like I'm, you know, maybe I'm broken or something. I don't know. Anyways, whatever. Doesn't know. Don't know if it matters. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a fun, it's a fun and fruitful world out there. And uh, yeah, I think there's plenty of people in it. So yeah, a cool thing about uh, that World War II vet and someone who just has a very different set of uh, perspectives that they apply to life. Something that is uh, maybe yeah, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say it's old school, but it is old school. Um, but something that I've often grappled with is, you know, it was a simpler time in a way The the external factors were different. The, the strategies at life were, were very different and something that you applied in a very different way. You know, I was doing something, talking to Haley the other day about going back to 1720 and what was life like in 1720? What was the mortality rate? You know, and people lived to 30 years old, 30 ish, you know, and uh, 1780, you know, you're living to 40, 50 you know, we're meant to live into our 80s now, at least. Um, you know, things last longer. Our lives are very different in the long scope of our lives. You know, um, your neighbors aren't going to kill you; uh, they're just going to get mad at you and talk shit on the internet about you. Um, you know, the neighboring towns aren't going to go to war with you; um, they're just going to, you know, boast about their better tourism you know, on the internet. <laughs> that sounds pretty weird, but nevertheless. A good chat with Tim. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, you know, again, reach out. Uh, appreciate the listening. Uh, always happy to take on the feedback. And yeah, that's it. That's This is the end of it. This is when I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Hope you had a good time. Thanks again.